So today's a little different. We're actually going to be moving right into our sermon this morning. Uh, and so I have the privilege today of, of, of preaching with Pastor Mike being out. And uh, what we'll do is we'll have our sermon uh, right up front, and then we're going to have a worship set, and then we'll be able to participate in communion together this morning. So excited for the opportunity again to speak today, and uh, really thankful uh, to be entrusted with it. We're in a series right now, and have been in a series uh, called The Church on This Rock. And uh, what we've done is we, Pastor Mike's heart and his desire was that uh, as we enter into kind of the new year as a church, uh, again, we have opportunities to nominate and to affirm leadership. And so he wanted to take time to unpack and teach on, hey, what's the role of a pastor? What's the role of a deacon? And then beyond that, like, what are some of the key truths that we need to be reminded of as it relates to the church? Who is the church? Uh, what is the function? What is the purpose? Uh, how can he be a member? All these things are things that we want to unpack and talk about. In week one, we talked about, uh, Pastor Mike went to Matthew 16, and he unpacked that Jesus is the foundation. He is the rock. There is no other. There is no other person. There is no other thing that can claim that Jesus is the rock on which we stand. In week two, we were in Ephesians chapter one, and we talked about the foundation of the church being Christ. We learned that um, we are chosen, we are redeemed, and we are sealed, and that the blessings of God are given through Christ to the church. So that was week two. And then last week, week three, Pastor Mike unpacked the mystery of the gospel. And simply spoken, the mystery of the gospel is that Gentiles are welcomed into the family of God. Uh, and so he unpacked, he actually did basically a, a survey of the entire Bible, and he helped us to see that God was not a God who um, thought about redeeming us as a second thought, but that he was always a God who wanted to redeem from the very beginning. Um, we see in the Garden of Eden that he had already made a promise that he was going to rescue us from sin. So Pastor Mike showed us throughout all of biblical history that God has been a God who seeks to redeem people. And so uh, this morning we have the opportunity to talk about church membership. And uh, I'm not speaking uh, directly to what it means to be a member at Shelby, but more so what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. So we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4 if you want to join me and turn over that way. And uh, as you're turning there, I'll give you my bottom line and my key points so that you know where I'm trying to go this morning. The bottom line this morning is this. Church membership is a gathering of individuals around beliefs, equipped by leaders, and working together. Uh, and so the three key points I want to unpack is this. Membership is about joining a community, not signing up for a subscription. Membership is about developing a team, not individual all-stars. And then thirdly, membership is about participating in a movement, not spectating an event. And so we're going to go to chapter 4 of Ephesians and work through these 16 verses and uh, hopefully unpack uh, what is meant by these statements. So if, uh, before we read, uh, real quick, uh, I'm, I've been reading a book called um, Transformational Groups. It's by Reggie Joyner, and the, the entirety of the book is basically arguing for the importance of small groups and, and the importance of getting into a group format where, you know, you're across from someone, you're opening the text of Scripture. Uh, in some cases, maybe you're debating it. And, and the whole point of it is as we're doing life together, as we're growing together, uh, we, we grow quicker, we grow bigger. And, and the example they use in this book is of the sequoia tree. Sequoia tree is a tree that uh, grows to be above 200 feet tall, and it's a tree that has and can last between 1,500 and 3,000 years. Long-lasting, very large, very big tree. And the thing with these trees, you know, typically when I think about a tree and it being able to be strong and being able to be, uh, last over time is that its roots go deep, right? That's what we think. We think a tree is able to withstand the wind if its, if its roots goes deep. But with a sequoia tree, it's actually that its roots go out, so the, the roots don't go very deep, but they go out. Because here's the thing, as, as a Christian, I can know the Bible front and back. I can know theology. I can know doctrine. But if I don't have other people around me, 
And if I don't have support around me, then I'm, I'm going to struggle. I'm going to have a hard time. And what the sequoia tree does is it relies on the other trees next to it, and they grow in big clusters. So when the wind comes, when the storm comes and hits, they're able to rely on one another to weather the storm. And so as a church, as a Christian community, we need to recognize the importance of being intentional in relationship. Uh, we want to be people who are not just passive, but we want to be engaged. And so uh, as we read, you can stand with me in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. And if you don't want to stand, you can sit too. That's, that's fine too. I'm, I'm not offended. So let's read our text. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, even as you are called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Verse 7, but you unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Join me as we pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, as we read it and as we study it, we pray that you would give us wisdom from your spirit to understand it and then to apply it. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning, and it's your name we ask and pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning, uh, as we get into this, this text, one of the things I wanted to draw our attention to as we get going is in verse 1 of chapter 4, we learn something very interesting about Paul. What we learn is that Paul refers to himself as a prisoner of the Lord. We know that throughout his ministry, there are, there are different times where he is imprisoned as a result of his ministry and as a result of his boldness. And in this case, Paul is in prison in Rome, and he's writing a letter to the group of believers in Ephesus. And I think what's really important, what's really interesting here, is that in the time of his greatest suffering and greatest discomfort, he still has a heart to minister to the churches. I think what's really important is that Paul is seeing his chains not as a hindrance to ministry, but as an opportunity for ministry. And so as he writes to the believers at Ephesus, it's with this uh, this, with this context in mind that he is in jail, and yet he still sees this as an opportunity to minister. And this is what he says to us. He beseeches us that we walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. The idea here of walking is not the idea of how you walk down the hallway. It's, it represents the fullness of your life, your conduct, uh, your lifestyle. And so what Paul is saying is let your lifestyle, let your conduct be worthy of your vocation. And our vocation simply is it's this idea that God has called sinful men, sinful people to himself. 
In the Gospel of John, uh, we're, we're told that, that, uh, that God draws people to himself, and in that context, it's this idea of a net being thrown into the water as a fisherman and drawing fish in. So God is actively drawing sinners to himself. He's actively working to bring them to redemption. And, and what he's saying is, you as people who have been redeemed live worthy of what you have been called to. It's almost the idea of make sure that your proclamation matches your lifestyle. Walk the talk, right? So make sure that people who have been ransomed and rescued from sin and from the kingdom of darkness, let's live lives that demonstrate that. And so he's telling us that we need to live walk worthy. And and he tells us three key characteristics of how this should play out in verse 2. First thing he says is this, lowliness. The idea of lowliness is to have a low, um, uh, to, to think lowly of oneself. It's to have an accurate perception of one's value and one's worth. And what's meant by that is Paul is wanting us to not be given to that issue of pride that many of us can fall into. Pride in a group of people, pride in, in a family, pride in any relationship can cause disruption. It can cause division. And so what Paul is telling us is part of walking worthy is having an appropriate mindset of who you are. Because here's, th- here's the deal. If I am looking at someone else and I'm comparing my lifestyle to theirs and I am, I am making myself feel better at their expense, what I'm failing to recognize is that morally before God, I am a sinner who was saved by grace. I was saved by the same means as, as anyone else was. Right? And so having lowliness is basically having humility. It's recognizing that I have what I have not because of what I've done but because of what Christ has done. I like what C.S. Lewis says. He says, uh, when we talk about humility, we're not saying that you need to think less of yourself, but to think about yourself less. So it's the idea that I'm not devaluing myself. I'm not making fun of myself. It's I'm thinking about myself less. And so we need to be people who think about self less and think about others more. So that's, that's lowliness. The second thing is meekness. Meekness is this idea of it's exercising power but under control. All right, so we, 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 as a people, we need to be careful when we're interacting with one another, especially if it's on a matter of maybe someone's done something and they need to be corrected. We need to approach them with meekness. We want to make sure that when we approach them, it's power that's under control. It's, it's with patience. And then the third one I really like is long-suffering. Long-suffering means patience as it relates to persons. Um, and so the idea here is that we need to have a patient outlook to people who are injurious to us, which simply means people who are difficult. Uh, All of us are in relationships, and at times we have difficulty, we have frustrations. And what Paul is saying is, hey, the tendency to grow frustrated and to blow up at people, no more. You need to have patience towards people even when they harm you, even when they offend you. And and the reason for this all is, in verse 3, he's wanting us to maintain the unity of the body. Because here's the thing, if I get offended and get upset every time someone does something that bothers me, and and I blow up at them, not only is reconciliation a lot more difficult, but wanting to be in the same room with them is going to be difficult, right? And so Paul is giving us these characteristics that need to be lived out by us if we want to have unity. And so verse 3 is, in my mind, one of the key themes of this passage. It's that we are to strive, we are to endeavor, he says, to be unified. The reality is when you put a group of people in the same room who come from different backgrounds, different faith backgrounds at that, and you ask them to be unified, there's a lot of things that will cause divisions among us if we're not careful. And so he's saying that you need to strive to be unified. What that means in my mind is uh, we need to recognize we're a part of a bigger community. And so the first point I want to cover this morning is that membership is about joining a community, not signing up for a subscription. A subscription, in my mind, it's this idea that I can pick and choose what I want and I can sign up for things that kind of cater to my personality and what I desire. 
But when we talk about a community, what we're saying is that we're a part of a group of people much bigger than self. It's about much more than me. And so when we're talking about biblical community and coming together, there's a need for us to have agreement on certain things, certain core beliefs. Because if we don't have that, then preferences and secondary beliefs can come in and they can cause divisions. Uh, as a, a, 10 years ago this fall, I began attending Moody Bible Institute. Great experience, learned a lot. God put a lot of great people in my life to help shape and, and, and help me to grow, including my wife. One of the things, though, I learned at Moody very quickly is that I'm not that big of a deal. You know, I came from a smaller church. Uh, I came from a smaller school. And I was highly uh, affirmed and encouraged. And when I got there, it was almost like I had this attitude of, man, this place is blessed that I'm here. And what I quickly learned and quickly realized is that, you know what, no, you are a part of something so much bigger than you. I remember we had to have these, these meetings as men all together. All our dorms had to come together. And we went through what's called the SLG, the Student Life Guide. Basically the rules, right? All the dress code, the rules, what the school believes. And what really stuck out to me was that the director said, look, you might have differing preferences on what you think we should wear. You know, you might have differing preferences on how often we go to chapel. But, but know this. When you attend Moody, you are joining something much bigger than you. People have come before you, and many will come after. And what I learned in that moment, what was, what was kind of made clear, is that I have to set aside some of my preferences in order to join the whole. I have to cling to core values and core truths if I want to have unity at Moody, just as I need to have it here at the church. And so in verses 4 through 6, Paul lays out, these are the core doctrines, right? And there's more than this, but these are the ones he mentions. These are the ones that we hold with a closed fist. We cannot equivocate. We cannot compromise. These must be held if we want to be considered in the body. So he says in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. And so the body referred to here is the spiritual body of Christ. It's, it's all believers from Pentecost until when Jesus returns. All of us represent Christ's body. Shelby Bible Church happens to be a local expression of that body, but we are not the church. We are part of the church. Does that make sense? So we are part of a much bigger community. And here's the thing. A lot of other churches look differently at different doctrines and secondary issues and preferences. And we, we might not have agreement there, but we must have agreement here. We must have agreement with these core doctrines. So there's one church, uh, and then there's one spirit. We're talking about the Holy Spirit here. No church, no group of people has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. No one can claim to have exclusive power and wisdom from him against any other church. There's one spirit, and he is the one who unites us to Christ. So there's one church, or, or I'm sorry, there's one body, one spirit, and then there's one hope of our calling. And so there's one hope, there's one means through which we can have life eternal. There's not multiple ways. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And so there's one hope. And that this is the hope that we've been called into. And then verse 5, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So the Lord here refers to Jesus. Right? There is one ruler. There is one who is in charge. His name is Jesus. Right? He is the head of the church. And so he is the Lord. There's one faith. And this refers to the means by which we come into the family. Because remember, I don't come into the family of God based on my merit, based on the family I came from, based on the area of the world I live in. I come in because of Christ. By faith, right? And then, so one, uh, one Lord, one faith, and then one baptism. And here, we're not referring to immersion that we would practice when someone confesses Christ. The word baptism means to be um, placed under or placed into. And so, again, what we're talking about is that a person is placed into the body of Christ by faith in Christ. And then this last one in verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. 
And so as a group of people who come together from all these different backgrounds, all these different areas of the world, these are key truths that we hold together and these unify us. Right? We have to know what we're about. We have to come together on clear convictions and things that are critical as a body. Uh, we did a series of our students a few years back called The Basics. And what we did is we taught them what are the primary beliefs, what are the secondary beliefs, what are the preferences. Now, I think the primary beliefs are laid out very clearly, but I do know that there is disagreement with secondary beliefs and specifically with preferences. And the reason we did this series is that we wanted them to understand that, yes, people think different than us, but we can have unity so long as we have that first list. We have that primary doctrine together. And so all that to say, when people think different than us, it's okay. It's, we got to have that first list together. Right? So that's the first thing I wanted to share with us is uh, that we are unified around core beliefs. The second thing I want to talk about is this. Membership is about developing a team, not individual all-stars. Uh, if we're not careful, I think what we can do is we can begin to elevate individuals who exercise giftings that are enjoyable to watch. We can be, if we're not careful, we can begin to um, give attention only to the people who uh, can do music and only can communicate up front. And the idea here is that, that we are developing a team of people who have the same goal in mind so that the work of ministry can go forward. I think of, uh, in my mind, lay ministry. What I mean by that is people who are not professional ministers. Lay ministry is critical to the life of a church. I think of my upbringing. I know we always, we always had a senior pastor, but beyond that, we typically had the rest of the church was run by volunteers. People who faithfully studied and taught the word of God, people who faithfully uh, prepared and, and gave music. Lay people are a huge part of the work of ministry going forward in a local setting. And pastors and uh, other leaders, we're here to serve as coaches, so to speak. We're here to help you develop your skills and abilities for the work of ministry. I think of, um, when I say this phrase, membership is about developing a team, not individual all-stars. I wasn't, uh, I was alive, 1994, I was very young, but I think of Scottie Pippen. Right, Scottie Pippen in 1994 in the semifinals, I think it's game three, his team's down, two games to zero, there's 1.8 seconds left, the coach decides that Scotty is going to inbound the basketball, not shoot it. Right, so Scotty was kind of a star. He was kind of one of the main players on the team. He had had an opportunity to shoot the game-winning shot a few, a few seconds earlier. He missed. Right, and so he has been given the task of just throwing the ball in bounds. And what's he do? He goes and sits on the bench. He basically says to his team, hey, you know what, guys? You guys are on your own. I'm not helping out. He had an all-star mentality. He thought that he was the only one who could do the work to get the team to the win. And here's the thing. We have to be very careful to not have that mentality because it takes every member of the body who has been gifted by the Spirit to do the work of ministry effectively. Uh, I think of in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, uh, we're told, um, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God. And this is key, who empowers them in all. And then this is the final section of this verse. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So what I want us to see here is that God has seen it fit to equip each of you with gifting, with a Spirit-given ability that when it's used appropriately will help build up the church and make the gospel known to the world. And what we see here is that it's, it's all been given of God. It's not something that you earned. It's not something that you developed by hard work. Now, I do need to develop my gift, but it's been given to me. And the key is that it's been given to me for the common good good. So we have a team mentality. We want the team, we want the body to develop its gifts to an effectiveness so that we can make the gospel known to the people around us. And so we see here um, uh, in verses 8 through 10, 
it's explained to us where these gifts come from. So it tells us in verses 8 through 10, I'm going to summarize it, basically that Jesus, he, when he ascended into the heavens, he took captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. What we're talking about when it says he led captivity captive, it's, it's referring to the people who had by faith trusted in the promises of God before they saw it realized. These people uh, went to a place called Abraham's bosom. Right? They went to a place of rest with him. And when Jesus resurrected, defeating sin and death, and then he ascended, he took all those who had placed their faith in the coming Messiah, and he took them with him to the throne room, to, to the Father. He brought them into their eternal rest. And so at the same time of, of, of leading on, and, and, and in that time when a king would conquer a land, what they would do is they would walk out of that city in a big procession, leading captivity captive. They would take all the things that they had won, all the people they'd captured, and they'd walk back to their city. So the point is, Jesus won. He's victorious. And, and he has led those who by faith were trusting in him into eternal rest. And at the same time, he gave gifts to men. And so these gifts are seen in verse 11. This is what we're told. He gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And so I'm going to kind of lay out where I stand with, with this verse. I know that there's probably differing opinions, but this is where I'm at. I, I believe the apostles here refers to the 12 apostles. Jesus gathered individual men to come, come with him, to train them, equip them, and send them. And we know that the New Testament is written as a result of the ministry of the apostles. Right? And so the, the work of the apostolic office or the gift of apostleship, in my mind, is no longer necessary because we have the New Testament right before us. The second one is prophets. Prophets were individuals who had the ability to foretell the future, and, and primarily what they were doing is they were foretelling the future about the Messiah coming. And so the prophets did that. Jesus came, and he, he accomplished his work. And in my mind, the, the office of a prophet, though it's, in my mind it's accomplished, we still have the writings of the prophets. Right? So we have the prophets and we have the, uh, the uh, apostles. Even though they're not bodily here, we have their writings evangelists refers to someone who travels to preach the gospel. So I interpret that, I think, what we're referring to as a missionary. Right? We have people who travel lo uh, far and near, and they are expressing the gospel of Jesus to people uh, in every, every nation, every tongue. And then lastly, we have pastor-teacher. The pastor-teacher is a dual role, but one person. Pastor comes from the word shepherd. It's a person who is there to guide and to care for sheep, or in other words, to care for the people of God. Right, so they're there to love the people of God, to guide them, to care for them, and then secondly, to teach them. In my mind, that's one of the primary ways we care for people, is we teach them what God's word has said. We open up the text in front of you. We ask you to join us so that you can hold us accountable to what we're saying. But that is the means by which we grow. That's the means by which we have the ability to minister to others is our knowledge of Christ. And so these, these roles Jesus gave, and this is why he gave them, for the edification of the body. Look at verse 12 for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What Paul is saying here in verse 12 is that he gave, that the Jesus gave pastor teachers and these other roles for the purpose of equipping or building up individual believers for the work of ministry. I remember the first time I saw this verse, it blew my mind because in my mind, I had always thought that the pastor was the one who could help us to understand the scriptures and that the pastor was the one that I needed to bring a friend to to receive the gospel. But what we're seeing here in this verse is that it's the pastor who is training and encouraging individual believers to do the work of ministry. We are far more effective when a body of people are each individually gifted using those gifts than if we're just relying on one person. And I think about, you think about the body, if, if my leg just decides it's no longer going to exercise its ability, its gifting, 
then the whole body suffers. Just as if an individual believer doesn't exercise the gift and the ability God has given them, we, as a body, are less effective. And so these gifts are given that we might be perfected. And then how long is this supposed to happen? Verse 13 tells us, until we all come in the unity of the faith. So this is a work that is going to continue because what happens when a believer is, is equipped and edified is that they now go into maturity, they go share the gospel, they win other souls, and we bring them into the body. And as that process occurs, we see that this is supposed to happen until all come into the unity of the faith. Basically, our goal is we want to get as many people to understand who Jesus is as possible. He continues on, he says, um, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I think this is very important. The thought here is that the measure or the goal of spiritual maturity that we're looking for is not in a man. It's not in Pastor Mike. It's not in me. It's not in our deacons. The measure that we're going for that we want to look like is Jesus. We want people through the teaching of the word to, to grow, to be more and more like him, to look more and like him, to have a character that represents his. Because again, the church is a gathering of people. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a building. It's a gathering of people who are spirit-filled, who represent Jesus everywhere they go. And so as we do that effectively, we win people and, and we, we, our body grows. And so, um, and the whole point of this, again, is that we're making the knowledge of the Son of God known. This is how we grow. We grow as we come to know Jesus and we come to live a life that's glorifying to him. And so uh, verse 14 tells us um, that it, the, the part of this too is that as we're being equipped by pastor teachers, as we are learning from the word of God, the, the result is that we will no longer be tossed to and fro like children. You see, when someone first you know, accepts the Lord as Savior, and this isn't to be derogatory to them, but in some ways they're regarded as an infant, right? Because they're new to the faith. They're learning all of these things, and they're, they're, they're distilling it all down, and they're taking it in, and, and, and they're learning it slowly, right? And so they're in that infant stage, which means at that point, uh, if we're not careful, they can be overcome by deceitfulness, by false doctrines. They can be discouraged. And so that's where the body of Christ comes in. When someone first comes into the faith, we are there to walk with them, to help them grow, to pray with them. And the, the thought here and the point is that um, when we are under the teaching of the word of God and we apply it, we become mature. We develop the ability to discern when a teaching is not truth and when it's not from the word of God. We discern the ability to read through. When someone's being deceitful, we can see through it and we can discern it. Right? And so part of the point here, a pastor teacher, they're there to exalt Christ to edify and build you up and help you do ministry, but it's also so that you can stand firm and not be shaken by the circumstances that come in life. Uh, and so uh, as we kind of bring it down here in verse uh, 15, I think it's really another important thought. We see here in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. The reality is that we are going to need to speak the truth in love to one another every now and again. Right? So when I need, when someone is, maybe their, their belief is maybe skewed, maybe their conduct is a little off, it's our responsibility as followers of Christ, as a body, we need to go to them and confront them. We need to speak to them the truth in love. Because if I just speak truth, if I just hammer home what the Bible says, but I do not do it in a loving way, then in some sense I divide and I break. The point of speaking the truth in love is to solidify that they are Christ's and to help them to walk in faithfulness after him. And so we are here to speak the truth in love that we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And so um, 
knowledge of scripture alone does not get us here because we know that in Corinthians, I think it's 12, that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so knowing the truth is critical, but also how we represent it and how we share it is critical, right? So uh, all that to say that the key thought here is that um, we are equipped by pastor teachers for the work of ministry. The third point I want to share with you is this. Membership is about participating in a body, not spectating an event. Two weeks ago I preached and I talked about baseball, and I'm here again to talk about baseball really quick. Um, I remember as a, as a young man learning baseball, one of the things that coaches would often say to you is don't ball watch. Right? Ball watching is this idea that uh, how many of you have watched baseball? How many of you have played baseball? Give me a hand if you've been there. So you would agree with me that baseball can be one of the most boring sports to watch, right? And, and when you're in the field and you're waiting for the ball to come your way and multiple batters go up and they never hit it toward you, you know what you begin to do? You begin to daydream, right? You begin to not be prepared so that when the ball does get hit to you, you're not ready to do what you need to do with the ball. And so what coaches teach is that you need to think through where you're going to go with the ball before the ball gets hit to you. You need to be intentional. You need to be thoughtful about what you're going to do. Because once the ball hits you, it's chaotic, and it's hard to make a right decision. And so what we don't want to be is followers of Jesus who are simply spectating an event. Right? We want to be people who are engaged in what's happening in the life of others. We want to be engaged in what's happening culturally, and we want to bring the truth of God's word to bear in both areas. And I can only do that if I'm intentionally engaging the lives of other people. I cannot do it if I'm sitting back just spectating. Right? So the church, though we come together like this, and to a degree you are here to receive and to learn, it's also a faith that requires action. It requires that we take what we learn, we apply it, and that we minister to those around us. And so in, a, in verse 16, this is kind of the end verse that we're going to do here. From the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by which every joint supplieth. The idea here is that the joints reference individual believers, and that as believers work together as we strive for unity, we actually supply to one another, uh, we, we supply to one another what the gifts that God has given to us, right? So the, the thought is, if I withhold my ability, if I withhold my gift from the body, then there's a sense in which supply is limited, right? And so I want to be working together with other believers, joints that are working together in order to bring about the, the ministry that God has given us to here at Shelby. And so as we do that, as we together supply what is needed in the body, we also see here that every joint supplies according to the effectual working and the measure of every part. And so the thought, the word effectual is the effectiveness, the power. And so as we are connected with the Lord, as we are growing in our knowledge of him and in our love for him and in our desire to serve him, he is going to work in and through us to encourage and spur one another on so that we can do ministry together. So as I am connecting with the Father, the, as I am fellowshipping with him, I am going to be able to overflow that into others. The thought is that I, as I take what I have, I'm, it's literally just an overflow, right? Because all I'm doing is I'm taking what's been given to me and I'm giving it to others. I think of Culver's. Lunch is coming. I think of Culver's, and I, I remember uh, a few years back, I went to a Culver's, I grabbed my cup, was waiting for my meal, and I went to get ice out of the machine so I could get some of that root beer, and hit it, and it's like, and nothing comes out. Nothing was coming out of the machine. So uh, I wait, and, and then an employee runs from the back, and they've got this big bucket of ice. They come up, they open the top, and dump the ice in. And then you know what? When I put my cup back down, ice came out. And the thought is that the ice machine can only give what the ice machine has. And as believers, we can only give to others what we ourselves possess. If, I am not in con if I'm not fellowshiping with the Lord, and if I'm not growing in my knowledge of him, if I'm not surrendering my life to him, it's going to be very hard for me to overflow in service to others. 
Right? And so basically, it's as I well up in my love and knowledge of the Lord, it just pours out. It just comes out. And you guys know this, right? Uh, I've got a son now, right? He's a one-year-old. And you guys know this. This is true. What's really in us comes out, right? Like, you try driving here on the east side, it's incredibly crazy here. Right? People are driving fast, and you're, I find myself preaching to them and yelling at them, and then, and then I have to look back at myself and say, you're not the greatest driver either. It's just a constant process. But with my son, a couple months ago, I was getting ready for church on a Sunday morning, running a little late, couldn't find my belt, and there was something else I couldn't find, belt and socks or something. I was getting frustrated, right? And at one point, I finally just let out this, Ugh. you know what Braden did? Ugh. He did the same noise back. And what I saw in that moment is, man, he is watching. And what overflows out of me impacts him. And so here's the thought. I want to be filled up with my love for the Lord. I want to be intentionally engaging the lives of other believers so that you can impact me and vice versa, that we might grow up into, it says, the head, which is Christ. So here's the point. I grow into maturity, not in isolation. I grow into maturity when I'm in fellowship with others. And so the third point was this. Membership is not about participating in a body I'm sorry, it's about participating in a body, not spectating an event. And so as we come to a close, um, what I want to do is just encourage us uh, with a few thoughts. At Shelby, kind of our language and kind of what we want to see happen together as a gathering is we want to see people connect, grow, serve. And with connect, what we're saying there is we want people to come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus. And as they start that relationship, they then come into a relationship with our gathering. So the way we primarily connect is we are we are here, we are gathering, we are worshiping, we are hearing from the word of God. This is a way that we connect, grow. Uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get people into growth groups. We're trying to get you into a situation where you're able to get to know the people in our gathering better. And that you can begin to walk through life, not just when we're here at 9 and 11, but through what's going on during the week. And as we're unpacking what we're learning, we're sharing with one another, Lord willing, we're growing together. And then the third thing is service. Right? We want to be people who are aware of how God's gifted us, and we want to execute and use that in the gathering. And so here's my bottom line this morning as we come to a close. Church membership is a gathering of believers unified around beliefs, equipped by leaders, working together. So at this time, uh, if, you, if you will, uh, we're going to go ahead and actually move to our worship set. So if you'll stand, I'm going to pray for us in a second, but if you want to join me and stand and we'll pray, and uh, we'll give our musicians a moment to get into place. Thank you so much for uh, listening, and I, again, it was such a privilege to be able to speak this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that, uh, again, we can come, we can gather in this place. Lord, we thank you that uh, you have given us the ability to know you and the ability to know you through your word and through the people that you've placed around us. Help us to be people who are intentional to engage in biblical community. And Lord, as we uh, move to a time of worship and as we sing songs that speak to your character and who you are, Lord, we pray that you would be magnified and lifted high. We love you and we ask and pray these things in your name. Amen.